If you got your Bibles, open to 1 Peter chapter 4, and then we'll continue our study of the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 46. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 12. Our study today starts uh, with this question. Have you ever gone through something really difficult before? Have you ever gone through something really difficult before? Now, just for the record, there's a thousand things that you could put into that category, and some of them we've gone through together recently. For some of you, you've been through a breakup, and it was brutal, all right? Uh, I mean, it just can be so difficult. In fact, it might even have been with somebody uh, that you ended up marrying later on. But that breakup, I'm telling you, it just rips you to pieces on the inside. Some of you have been through a loss of a job, the death of a friend, through an illness for yourself or for someone that's close to you. For some of you, it's been something spiritually difficult that you've been navigating. And then for others, maybe it's a friendship that went awry. And then maybe for others, it's just COVID-19 in general. I mean, you just have had a really crazy go of it when it comes to uh, this, uh, this coronavirus, this COVID-19 disease. No matter where you're at today, I'd like to give you some hope. It says in Scripture that for believers, we are not strangers to suffering. We're going to read about that in just a minute. We are not strangers to suffering. But if we persevere and cling to Jesus Christ, we have the ability to endure. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Here's what Peter says. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering. Underline the painful trial that you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Underline something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the suffering of Jesus Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Stop right there for just a minute. Now, it says there in my translation, painful trial. But I want you to notice something. In one of the, uh, in one of the early translations, it actually uses the word that would be used for like fire or trial by fire or fiery trial. What I love about the image of a fiery trial is if any of you have ever gone through a situation where you've been burned before, where your flesh or your body has been burned, I mean, that is the picture that's being given in this passage. He says, don't be surprised if you're a Christian and you get burned. If you're somebody who is a Christ follower and you go through times of difficulty, sometimes we can have this attitude like, Lord, I'm one of your guys. Man, Lord, I'm one of your children. Why is it that I'm going through this time of difficulty? I thought I was one of your favorites. And here's the picture. Peter reminds us, Peter again, the leader of the disciples at this point, comes back and says, do not find it strange when we go through not just difficulty, but getting burned. I mean, something that truly is uncomfortable and can leave a scar on your flesh. He says, don't be surprised when we go through fiery suffering as though that were something strange happening to us. He says, but rejoice, but rejoice. He says, rejoice greatly when God's glory has been revealed. If you're taking notes, you don't take anything else away from today, write this down. Are you ready? We do not give God our allegiance in exchange for a blessed life. We give Jesus our sin in exchange for eternal life. Let me say that again. If you don't take anything else from today, take this. We do not give God our allegiance in exchange for a blessed life. 
We give Jesus our sin in exchange for eternal life. Don't be the believer in Jesus Christ that when times are good, you feel close to God, and when times are difficult, fiery, or painful, so when we go through periods of suffering, that all of a sudden we begin to question everything around us. Peter says, in this world, trouble is going to hit you. Jesus himself says, in this world, you will have trouble. The key is, with Jesus, we have peace. So it begs the big million-dollar question, what lies ahead on the road of suffering? What lies ahead on the road of suffering? What are the things that we don't need to be surprised by when they happen to us as believers and we go through a time of great difficulty? That's where we jump back into our story in Genesis chapter 46. Now flip back to Genesis chapter 46, and um, we're going to start in verse 26 today, but I want you to just look at verse 8 through 25 as we go through them, okay? So this is the story again of Joseph, and uh, specifically today, this is the story of Jacob uh, and his sons leaving their life in Canaan and now headed to meet with Joseph. But it's scary because remember, uh, Jacob had been told his whole life, stay here in the land and you will be blessed. But now it's a time of famine, it's a time of difficulty, and now he's moving to Egypt to be with his son. Joseph, who's the second in command in all the country. And here's what we have in the first set of verses. We have a list of all the family that is going with Jacob to Egypt. Now here's why that's important. Every one of these people is named. It's not just a group. They are individuals. And if you are somebody of Jewish heritage who is looking back, you can trace your lineage back. Uh, If you're one of the ancients, you can trace your lineage back to one of these families that's making the trek to Egypt. Every one of them is named, and it's a picture that our God doesn't just see the group. He sees us individually as well. He is powerful enough to see the macro and the micro at exactly the same time. So now, look at what it says in verse 26 and 27. I'm not going to read all the names to you. That is usually like stump the pastor, okay, when you go through and see if the pastor can pronounce all the names correctly. I'm not going to give you that satisfaction today, all right? Instead, we're going to go through it, and we'll jump to the end. Look at what it says. It says, all those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to make you a theologian today. Underline and highlight that number 70 that's right there because that's very, very important. So if you go back to the story of Abraham, Abraham, again, is Jacob's grandfather. Abraham is the one that is given the great promise of Almighty God. He's given the promise that when Abraham... One day, he will be father to a great nation. That's the promise that's given to him. So here's what happens. Abraham, father of a great nation, and then by the end of Abraham's life, he's got one kid. He's got Isaac. After that, Isaac, fulfilling this great promise of them becoming a great nation, Isaac ends up having two sons, Jacob and Esau. So now, Jacob has had 12 sons, And the number added together is 70 in all. But here's what I want to share with you. The number of years from the promise of Abraham until this moment where Jacob is leaving Canaan to go and start this new life in Egypt is 215 years. Now, the reason this is important is because God has promised him you're going to become a great nation. 
father of many nations. The people will outnumber the sand on the seashore. And they'll outnumber the stars in the heavens. And after 215 years, he's at 70. Now here's why that's so interesting. When the Exodus takes place, about 400 years from this point, when the Exodus happens, they're going to be more than a million Jews that end up walking out. And here's what's nuts. Year two, 0 to 215 is 70 people. The next 400 years is going to be massive. It is going to fulfill that promise that God made to Abraham. But in the moment, you have to realize Jacob is sitting there going, I'm leaving Canaan. I'm leaving the land that I've called home all these years. And even though I did my part, I'm still just at 70 when the promise of God was the sands of the seashore in number. If you're taking notes, what lies ahead on the road of suffering? Number one, first and foremost, there will be days that God's blessings seem delayed. Let me say that again. There will be days that God's blessings seem delayed. I guarantee you, Jacob is looking at his family and going, we're a lot, but we're not sands on the seashore at this point. Jacob is looking at it going, we're leaving Canaan, we're leaving the land where God's promised to bless us, and all of a sudden we're walking away, and I feel like I'm not where I should be at this point. Now just for the record, it's a good thing to have an action plan in your life. It's a good thing to have goals that you've set in front of you, but at the end of the day, your path is guided by the hand of Almighty God, and he's the one putting together your days. He's the one fulfilling the promise for your life. If you start measuring and comparing yourself to other people, then you're going to have problems. God is good. These first 215 years, the family is exactly where they're supposed to be. The number does not indicate how blessed they are. If you're taking notes, an impatient harvester forfeits what they've worked for. Let me say that again. An impatient harvester forfeits what they've worked for. I've got an example of this. My parents got married very, very young. I mean very, very young. When they got married, my mom was 18 and my dad was 20. All right, they were very, very young. Not only that, my mom, when they met, my mom was a ninth grader at Monterey High School, or excuse me, at Evans Junior High at that point, and my dad was a sophomore, a 10th grader, and my mom was my dad's very first girlfriend, okay? So I'm telling you, they were together forever. So when I look back at their old albums, when I was a kid, I'd look back and you saw they went to prom together each year. I mean, they went to football banquet each year. I mean, they again, my mom moved off to college. My dad was at Texas Tech for a year. And then my mom moved to Hardin-Simmons University and you watched it. I mean, all their pictures are them together all the way through from the earliest of days. And so here's what happened. Just like any kid, I idolized my parents. Great character, loved the Lord. And I remember you just kind of look to them and go, maybe I can judge my own progress by the progress that they're making at the same time. So in a lot of areas, that was good. I'd measure myself up against my dad athletically, and uh, I got started a little bit earlier than he did, and so that was a lot of fun because I could see myself surpass him in certain ways. One of the big problems came when it had to do with dating. 
I was a little bit of a late bloomer. And so when I was in the ninth grade, there was no way I was at the point where I was ready to meet that person in a forever relationship. And yet, I had watched it unfold in my parents' lives. I remember watching, and there was a point where this is so strange, but maybe some of you will identify with this. When I was 18 at my senior prom, I remember thinking, is this the person that I'm supposed to marry? Because that's what my parents went through at this age. And then all of a sudden, when it ended up not working out, I began to spiral. I couldn't figure it out. I was 18 years old when my mom had gotten married, and all of a sudden, I wasn't married. Then, as I got older, I was 20 years old, and I wasn't married like my dad was at that age. And I remember thinking, am I behind? Am I behind? Now, there are many of you watching this going, what a foolish, foolish thing to think. And yet, we all do it on some level. There's this idea of comparison, sometimes out of jealousy and covetousness, and then sometimes just because we want to know the plan. We want to know the roadmap on how to get to somewhere where you see someone who's successful and you want to follow that plan so that you can be successful as well. A powerful moment in my life happened when I made the decision that I wasn't going to measure my relationship status against the path that my parents had carved. And you know what's interesting? They never put an ounce of pressure on me in that direction. Never, not even once. I can remember so many times my dad saying, this was mine and your mother's path, but it doesn't have to be yours. And yet I had to realize, I need to wait. I need to trust that if I give God my life every single day, if I take up my cross daily, that eventually the Lord will form me into who he made me to be. Save your spot there in Genesis and now flip to the book of Psalms, chapter 42. I want to read to you verses 1 through 5. In Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5, we get a very, very famous passage of Scripture. And here's what, the, here's what the, the writer has to say in Psalm 42 about delayed blessing. Here's what he says. He says, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, O God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with my God? That verse really spoke to me during this time of coronavirus. When can I go and gather together to meet with the believers? When can I meet with my God? Look at what he says. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Look at verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This passage is so powerful because he starts off saying, like the deer pants for the water, like the deer needs water on a warm summer day, Lord, I desire to be with you. He says, I look back and I go, Lord, I long to be with you. I long to be with the multitude walking to the temple. That's exactly what we're going to do on June 28th. We're going to come together as a multitude, crying out in praise to God. He said, I miss those days. I miss those moments of great blessing. And then he comes back and says, why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? And then the psalmist comes back to it. Put your hope in God. On days when you feel like the blessing is distant, it's just out of reach, 
The psalmist says you got to come back to the basics. Put your hope in God. Trust in Him. It begs the question, is your patience wearing thin? Is your patience wearing thin? Peter says don't be surprised when you go through fiery trial. Don't be surprised when you go through time of great difficulty. If we persevere, we will see the awesome glory of Almighty God. And the Lord's not going to look at you and go, well done, Shelby, you did better than TJ. Right? He's not going to look at you and go, well done, TJ, you did better than Jordan. Well done, Jordan, you did better than Jamie. Well done, Jamie, you did better than Brandy. Well done, Brandy, you did better than just about everybody. Right? Can I tell you what he's going to say at the end? It's about you and your path, you and your journey. Did you put your hope in the Lord above all else? Is your patience wearing thin? Suffering is going to happen. We've got to make the, we've got to make the decision that we will endure the fiery trial. Now flip back over to Genesis 46, and let's look at verse 28. So they're heading out, all of them, all 70 of them. The blessing to that day, 250 years of God's promise, all moving from Canaan to Egypt. Verse 28, it says, Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. Stop right there for just a minute. Now remember, Judah is kind of the unofficial spokesman for the family, okay? At this point, Judah has been the one taking care of his father. Jacob's the old man. Joseph is the brother that's in Egypt. And now Judah, Judah is the one. They've been told by Joseph that if they go to Goshen, that there's going to be a place for them to settle. Now, here's what I found so interesting about this passage. Jacob follows the Lord in faith to Goshen, and he doesn't even know how to get there. What a powerful picture, and I hope you don't miss it. If you're taking notes, write this down. What lies ahead on the road of suffering? Number one, there will be days when God's blessing seems delayed. And number two, there will be days that we don't know the way. Let me say that again. There will be days that we don't know the way. There are going to be some of you in this room or some of you that are watching this that will look back and you'll go, man, the Lord has called me to walk through this path of difficulty. He's called me to go through this time of suffering, this fiery trial. And you look back at this verse and you go, man, Jacob is going through the trial of his life at this point to relocate the family, to relocate the blessing of Almighty God. And all of a sudden, he doesn't even know where he's going. He's got to send his son Judah to ask for directions. I don't know about you, but that's the way I feel following the Lord all the time. He's called me to move in the right direction. I don't necessarily know exactly where we're going. I just know the calling of God on my life right now is to say yes to today. If you're taking notes, write this down. God often reveals the destination during the journey. Let me say that again. God often reveals the destination during the journey. There are some of you that are going through time of suffering and difficulty, or God has called you to walk that path of deep, painful trial. And you're sitting there going, Lord, I'll walk it if you'll tell me where it is, if you'll tell me where to go, if you'll tell me what it will produce in the end, then, Lord, I will follow you into this thing. In Jacob's case, he doesn't even know on the map where, jo where Goshen is, and yet he has the faith to trust the Lord. 
It's a great little movie called Lord of the Rings, all right? I'm going to spoil part of it for you, but you had like 20 years to see it, okay? The first one, The Fellowship of the Ring. In that story, the movie comes to a culmination at this point where they make the decision on who's going to take the ring to Mordor, all right? Mordor, okay, is the, is the place where they can finally burn the ring and destroy it uh, and destroy the hold of evil on the land that they live in. And so the scene comes together where they're meeting in the home of the elves, Rivendell, all right? And they're meeting in the home of the elves, and they've got all these strong warriors that have gathered around, and each one is vying to be the one that gets to take the ring. And so you've got in one corner a guy named Aragorn. He's the king. He has the right to the throne. And he's, again, big and strong. And he says, I'll take the ring to Mordor. Then you've got a dude named Legolas who's over there. He's powerful with the bow. He very well could say he's going to take the ring to Mordor. You've got a guy named Boromir. Boromir's the power chaser. He's one of the overseer's sons. And, man, he says, I'll take the ring. Give it to me. I'll take the ring to Mordor. And all of a sudden, they all begin to fight amongst themselves. All the powerful saying, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll lead the way. And then all of a sudden, the call of God comes to the little hobbit, Frodo. It's so interesting because Frodo was the least capable physically. He was the least capable from a leadership standpoint, but he had the calling. There's a point where he can feel it. He grabs his chest because he feels that he's the one who's supposed to take the ring. I love the scene because as they argue amongst themselves on what the way is, on who it is that's supposed to take the ring, Frodo walks up and with his weak, timid little voice, he grabs the ring, picks it up, and he says, I will do it. I will take the ring to Mordor. And then I love the line. You almost feel like Tolkien may have pulled it right here from this passage. He says, I will take the ring to Mordor, though I do not know the way. And you watch it. His face softens. And then there's a dude named Gandalf who's over there, the great wizard. And Gandalf looks at him, and you can see it. The moment has come together. All of a sudden, Gandalf looks, and he says, you can have my staff. Aragorn kneels down before him and says, you can have my sword. Man, Legolas says, you can have my bow. All of a sudden, the group comes together. It's nine warriors coming together for this journey because each one of them believed that something bigger than them was happening in that moment. Now, I know it sounds like a silly movie, but that's the way faith works. When the Spirit calls, you sit there and you go, me, the littlest one in the group to do the biggest task, God, me, the weakest one, me, the one that doesn't have the leadership skills, you're calling me to step out in faith and to lead the way in this, you're calling me to change my family, you're calling me to step up and share my faith, you're calling me to end the cycle of systemic racism, you're calling me to step out and to take a stand. How could it be me? But because the Lord called you, You humbly say, Lord, I'll go, though I don't know the way. In the journey, God reveals the destination. And by the way, Jesus gives us a picture of this in John chapter 14. Save your spot there, and now flip over to John chapter 14. Jesus has this very discussion with one of his disciples. Here's what he says, John chapter 14. And now look at verses 1 through 7. 
The disciples are scared because Jesus is about to go to the cross and they don't fully understand how the resurrection is going to work. And so look at what happens. Jesus says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Now look at Thomas here. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Circle, highlight, and underline that. Thomas gets a bad rap in Scripture when the truth is he's speaking for all of us. He's speaking for every stinking one of us. He looks at Jesus and goes, you're talking in metaphor. You're talking above our heads. You're talking in heavenly terms here. Jesus, give me the location. Tell me the spot on the map that I'm supposed to go to. We don't know the way. How can we know? You haven't told us where you're going. Now look at what Jesus says powerfully. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Stop right there for just a minute. What Jesus comes back and says, it's Thomas says, we don't know the way. We don't know the location. And Jesus says, it's me. Follow me. If you'll do what I call you to do, if you'll listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, then there's no way you're going to miss out on the heavenly divine appointments that God has set in front of you. Some of you would say, isn't that a cop-out? No. The opposite. It's Jesus saying, the time and location is so important, I'm not going to burden you with it. Just stick close to me, and you won't miss it. I'll never forget my first funeral. First funeral I ever did was uncharted waters for me. And I didn't know the way. I didn't know what it was supposed to look like. And the way the first funeral came together was very special. Autumn and I had been dating for three weeks. And I wasn't just, we hadn't said I love you yet, but man, I was in love with her. I just thought she was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I thought she was brilliant. She loved the Lord. I mean, with her whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm telling you, I was just smitten. So at three weeks, she said, I've got to go back home and see my granddad. He's passing away of Alzheimer's. She said, any chance you'd want to come with me? Now, just for the record, asking someone to go home with you that you're dating after three weeks is a pretty forward move. I can't tell you why it worked. It just worked. And I said, yep, let's go. So we go to visit her grandfather in the nursing home there in, uh, there in Nakona, Texas. Grandfather was an oil field worker. Hard, hard working man. In fact, his last name was Harper. And our sweet daughter Harper is named after uh, specifically uh, that family, that line of family. So I'll never forget Three weeks we've been dating. I go into the hospital, or go into the the nursing home room, get to meet him, and he was struggling with his words at that point. Autumn's grandmother, still alive, Autumn's grandmother is an absolute warrior. And honestly, probably the one that Autumn favors the most in the family. I'll never forget, I go in, I meet Dan Harper, her grandfather, meet Autumn's grandmother, And we just had a very special time. It was just beautiful. 
And then all of a sudden, Autumn's grandmother looks at me and she goes, have you ever done a funeral before? And I said, no, not yet. I said, but one day, I was just 22 years old. I was just a kid. She goes, well, maybe Mr. Harper could be your first. Autumn's jaw's on the ground and so is mine. She said, our pastor of many years just took a job as a professor at Wayland Baptist University's extension campus in Hawaii, all right? Nakona, Texas to Hawaii. Just for the record, we could all be so lucky to get that promotion. You know what I mean? I'm telling you, that'd be a heck of a promotion. She said, we don't have anybody that knows us. She said, would you be interested in helping us with that? Without skipping a beat, I said, yes. And then all of a sudden, have you ever done this in the back of your mind? Your mouth says yes, and your brain is like, you idiot. Have you ever had that moment before? That was kind of what happened in that moment. I was like, oh my gosh, I just committed to do the funeral. Not just a funeral, but of the woman that I love that I've been dating for three weeks and can't even tell her that I love her at this point. And so anyway, but then I thought, he looks in decent health. I mean, I've got some time. Well, sure enough, there wasn't much time. It was just a matter of days, just a matter of weeks. And then all of a sudden, Mr. Harper passed away. And I've got to do the funeral, but I do not know the way. To make matters weirder, on the day of the funeral, the pastor of the county seat church in that area showed up at the funeral and tried to hijack the service from me. It's a true story. You can get it straight from Autumn some point if you don't believe me. He shows up. He's a seminary student. Tries to hijack the service from me. And I'll never forget it. Autumn's father was not really a Christ follower at that point, but he could see that I was really trying. And Autumn's father stood up for me and ran interference with that pastor as only someone from Nakona, Texas could. I remember Autumn's father walking up to me and he said, they wanted you to do the funeral and I will make sure you do the funeral. At that point, I had hoped that he would be my father-in-law, but I had no idea how foundational that moment was going to be. In the end, I not only made it through the first funeral, but I felt like I was a part of the family that week. The great gift that Dan Harper gave to me was that was what cemented mine and Autumn's relationship. That's what cemented me as one who could be a part of their family. Even in death, he was bringing people together. Could I have scripted that? Could I have fashioned that? Could I have planned that? No stinking way. But God crafted it with his own powerful hand. I did not know the way, but I knew Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, what if I gave you the destination? You couldn't get there on your own anyway. He says, I'm the way. Stick with me, kid, and you'll go all sorts of different places. It begs the question, is your faith in Jesus or a plan? Let me say that again. Is your faith in Jesus or is it in a plan? I thank God for Dan Harper. I thank God for his wife, Evelyn. I thank God for my father-in-law, Don, standing up for me. And I thank God for Autumn having the courage to ask me to go home with her that day. Enough of that mushy stuff. Now flip back over and we're going to find a really cool part in our story. Now look at Genesis chapter 46, verses 29 through 30. Here's what happens next. 
So again, Jacob sends Judah ahead. Get directions from Joseph to Goshen. It says, when they had arrived in the region of Goshen, look at verse 29. Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Now stop there for just a minute. Remember, this is so powerful because Joseph and Jacob have not seen each other. Father and son have not seen each other since the day that Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers. It's been decades at this point since he's seen his father. He never thought he'd get to see him again, and the father thought his son was dead up until just weeks before. Look at what happens next. Again, Joseph has his chariot made ready. He went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And as soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and he wept for a long time. Circle and highlight and underline that he wept for a long time. And then Israel said to Joseph, that's Jacob. Jacob says to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Now, just for the record, if this is the first sermon you've listened to in this series, you've got a lot of catching up to do. This is the moment of culmination. And I love it because it's the same week that we are getting to announce that the church is going to get to gather together again in person. Here's what happens. Joseph hears your father is close. You've gone through this incredible path of suffering. You've gone through this incredible path of difficulty. You've crawled across the fiery trial in front of you. And now your father is just miles away. For for Jacob, Jacob, you thought your son was dead. You went through the grieving process. Jacob, you thought your son was dead. You've gone through this time of great difficulty. You thought that the family was going to die in Canaan of starvation. And now the dream of dreams is in front of you. If you're taking notes, write this down. What lies ahead on the road of suffering? Number one, there will be days when God's blessing, God's blessings seem delayed. Number two, there will be days we don't know the way. And number three, there will be days we see our hope become reality. Let me say that again. There will be days we see our hope become reality. This is almost a reliving of what happened in 1 Peter chapter 4. The fiery trial, the suffering, the strangeness of going through all of that. He says, don't, again, feel like this is something that's uncommon to you because once you pass through the death, the glory of God is on the other side. The road of suffering is not just to mess with you. The road of suffering leads to something, and that something is God's almighty glory. There will be days that we see our hope become reality. Can you imagine Jacob and Joseph seeing each other? The father who thought his son was dead and is now alive. His faith, his hope becoming sight. Joseph, thinking he would never see his father again, that his father had died of old age. And then all of a sudden, there he is in front of him. I love that it says Joseph didn't just shed a single tear. It says he wept for a long time. And by the way, you know who's watching that? The brothers, the ones who caused that pain. And then then Jacob looks at Joseph and says, now I'm ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are alive. If you're taking notes, write this down. A time is fast approaching in this life or the next when our faith shall be sight. Let me say that again. A time is fast approaching in this life or the next when our faith shall be sight. Sometimes in the midst of suffering, we forget that God is good, that his plans are good, 
and that he's not trying to mess with you. Sometimes we can think when we look around us and we fall into that culture of comparison that we talked about earlier, we begin to look at how those around us are blessed and then we forget God is good and he is acting for good things on your behalf. He's crafting something very special for you. There are days when we see that hope become a reality. The character of God is to craft something good for you. Save your spot there. Actually, you don't have to save your spot in Genesis. Flip over to Luke chapter 11, and we'll read a final set of verses today about the character of God. Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. Jesus says this. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks him for a fish, will give him a snake instead? I love this passage because I can always picture me doing it to my kids. All right? Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, you give him a scorpion. If then, though you are evil, <laughs> know, that, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus says God loves us so much. He doesn't look and go, oh, man, poor TJ. You need a fish, buddy? I'm going to give him a cobra. There is no way that God does that. And yet, if you're being honest... Some of you see God that way. Lord, I don't have those blessings in the time period that I thought I was going to receive them. And you sit there and you go, why, Lord, why? Why have you given me a snake today? Why have you given me a scorpion today? Lord, I've been asking for good things and you've been providing pain and suffering and difficulty. Peter says, don't be surprised when you go through times of difficulty. And in the end, it's for the glory of God and the good of you. Let me say that again. We go through times of difficulty for the glory of God and for the good of ourselves. It begs the final question today. Have you forgotten what God is capable of? Have you forgotten what God is capable of? He is incapable of wickedness. He is incapable of evil. But God is fully capable of what is good and what is right. What a powerful part of our story. Now, just for the record, this is not the end of the Joseph story. I'm sorry for those of you who've been around a thousand weeks, okay? This is not the end of the Joseph story. In fact, in many cases, it's just the beginning. About every sermon I've ever heard preached on the life of Joseph ends with this glorious roll credits moment when they finally get to meet together, father and son. The humanity of Joseph will unfold in the next few weeks, and we'll get to walk through that together. But for today... Are you on a road marked with suffering? If that's you, then this message was for you. I want to encourage you, don't tune out the most important part of the service of these next few moments. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. But there is something powerful about us considering the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, just draw a little box around yourself, wherever you are at your house or watching on your phone, watching on the computer, just draw a little box around you so that it's just you and God in these moments. Is there anyone here watching that would say, Zach, pray for me. I'm walking a road of suffering right now. 
If that's you, my heart goes out to you today. And if you're here and would say, Zach, pray for me. I'm walking that road of suffering. God's called me to a time of difficulty, and it's just really hard. If that's you, then I want to pray for you. If you would just indicate by lifting your hand where you are, God knows if you would just lift your hand. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. I want to tell you I'm sorry. I've been there. I'm sorry you're having to walk through these difficult days, this fiery path. But God is good, and he has good plans in store for you. I'm going to pray for you, but I want to encourage you just to call out to him in that same way that we read in Psalm chapter 42. Just cry out, God, as the deer desires water, my soul desires you. Lead me, fill me in these crazy days. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? God's blessings in my life just seem delayed. Just like you talked about before, I'm in the days where 215 years equals 70, not 400 years equal a million. If that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, that I wouldn't compare myself to others, that I wouldn't compare my journeys to someone else's, but that I would do what's right today, that you would do the right thing today, not knowing how you will do the right thing tomorrow, but you just do what's right right now. If that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, God's blessings seem delayed, but I'm going to trust him for the future. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. If that's you, just pray this simple prayer. God, help me to run my race and not worry about everybody else and what they're doing. God, help me to run my race and to not worry about everybody else and what they're doing. Next, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, I've been holding back on doing what God's told me to do because I don't know the way. But you realize today Jesus is the way. We cling to him, and then he's the one who leads us down that path of righteousness. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would trust Jesus more than the plan that I put together. Pray that I would trust Jesus more than the plan I put together. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. I'm going to pray for you, but you just pray this simple prayer. God, I trust you more than the plan that I make. God, I trust you more than the plan I make. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would hold out hope for that glorious day when my faith becomes sight? I've been there too. Sometimes you just need a little bit of encouragement to get across the finish line. If that's you, I just want to pray for you today. If you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray for me and I'd have the strength to hold on to hope. If that's you, if you'd just lift your hand where you are. Thank you. My heart goes out to you. Hold on. The Lord's got you in the palm of his hand. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll stand and sing. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. And Lord, we thank you so much for the story of Joseph. Lord, for both Joseph and for Jacob, the suffering that they had to endure through this stretch was just absolutely so intense. Joseph being sold into slavery. Joseph being wrongfully accused. Joseph having to make tough decisions in Pharaoh's court. Joseph being the one to help so many people through a time of famine. Jacob, Lord, believing that his son had been killed by a wild animal 
having to endure the fear and the famine of not knowing if his family would survive. But for both of those men, their faith became sight. The promise that you had made to both of them fulfilled in this beautiful moment that we read about today. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for those who are watching this who are going through a time of suffering. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you would fill them with encouragement, and Lord, that you would remind them that at the end of the fiery trial is the glory of heaven. Lord, I pray also that for those dealing with a time of delayed blessing, that you would remind them not to compare themselves on Facebook, not to compare themselves in conversations to others, but that you would call them to walk their path as best they possibly can. And Lord, for those days when we don't know the plan or the way, remind us that Jesus is the way, that if we cling to him, if we strive to do what's right, that in the end we'll have done exactly what you called us to do that day. And last but not least, Lord, I pray for those who just need a little bit more hope. I pray that you would give them courage and hope by the truckloads today in Jesus' holy name. Fill them with hope and courage that they might press on. We love you, Lord. Speak in power in these final moments. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray.